Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day that you grant us the opportunity to wrestle with you in faith. Lord, that through that experience you would allow us to grow deeper in our trust and relationship with you. We would ask this day, as we seek to know you better, that you would break your words small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. As we have spoken in the last few weeks through our Engaged series, today is the last Sunday of the series. And in part because we have a phenomenal text through our Old Testament lesson this morning to really round things out in a powerful way. As we began and we talked about the subtleties of our enemy and that which makes him dangerous as such, and as we dug a little deeper into having battle buddies. And then last week, hearing the words of Paul to Timothy as he says that he is bound with chains and suffering, but the Word of God is not bound. So if you have your Bible with you, I would invite you to turn to Genesis 32. And actually, I would invite you to turn back to 31 a little bit as well, because we kind of hit on a little bit of both. Context is important. To set the stage a bit, anytime we are on the precipice, the edge of doing something difficult, there is this inherent wrestling either internally but often with God. We know, as the Apostle Paul says, what we ought to do, and yet we often do what we ought not do. Or, in the words of Ralph Waldo Emerson, we take the path as it diverges in a, in a wood and we take the path less traveled. And it makes all the difference. We know what the easy way often looks like and here it would have been for Jacob to hear the Word of God calling him home and to say, you know what, Lord, I, I don't think that's going to work for me. I think I'd rather go check out this other place instead because, you know, I, I've done pretty well for myself here. And maybe I'll take my family and my animals and my belongings and everything that I have. Maybe I'll just go settle here and I never have to go back and deal with my brother. But Jacob had good reason to be concerned. He had robbed his brother Esau of his birthright over a bowl of soup. 
That sounds like an easy mistake to make, right? Jacob has prepared this stew, and Esau comes in famished from being in the fields, and he says, I am starving. Give me some of that soup before I die. And Jacob says, fine, I'll give you some of that soup if you give me your birthright. And you can almost hear the jest in Esau's response where he's like, I'm going to die anyway. What good is my birthright to me if I don't have that soup? Yet in those days, that was a legal transaction. And then a couple years go by, and it says that their father Isaac, his sight had grown dim. He was blind, and so he relied on his other senses. His sense of touch, his sense of taste, his sense of smell. And so he calls Esau to him and he says, go and prepare me some of that amazing stew that you prepare from the animals that you harvest when you hunt. And you bring that to me and we'll eat together and I'm going to give you your blessing. Again, a big deal. Now, Rebecca, their mother, hears this conversation between the older brother and Isaac and she goes to Jacob and she says, you better do something quick because you have an opportunity here to take not just the birthright, but also the blessing. Now, baby-faced, smooth-skinned Jacob doesn't stand a chance against Isaac's keen senses when his brother, it says, is hairy, smells like the beasts of the fields, and apparently can cook quite well also. And Rebecca says, don't worry about that. I've got this figured out. You go and you just you put on some of his clothes so you smell like him. And then we're going to take this goat skin over here with some fur on it. And you can just put that on your hands. And that way when he rubs your arm, you know, he'll feel the hairiness of Esau. I don't know what that says about Esau. And then we're going to give him some of this stew. And he's going to just assume that everything is right. And so... Jacob does this, and he goes to Isaac, and Isaac, through his sense of hearing, says, you say you're Esau, but you sound like my son Jacob. Let me see your arm. So he puts out his arm, feels the hairiness of the goat fur. He eats the soup. Well, it tastes like Esau's recipe. And then he goes to embrace him and give him a hug. And he says, well, you even smell like Esau, so you must be Esau. And he goes forth and gives him this blessing. And you can imagine that smirk as Jacob passes Esau, as Jacob is coming out and Esau is coming in, proudly with this soup to present to his father to receive the blessing. And Isaac to go, I already ate. And then they begin to connect the dots, and Esau realized that he has been robbed. And he says, he's already taken my birthright, and now my blessing? I could kill him. Matter of fact, as soon as my father Isaac dies, I'm going to kill him. And so Rebecca hears this, and she's mulling it over, and she immediately goes back to Jacob and goes, you got to get out of town. 
So Jacob flees for his life. And in chapter 31 of our preceding text today, it says that he is so devastated and wrecked over the guilt and fearful for what his brother's going to do. He says, I want you to take my stuff, and he divides it up. Now we're going to do this in stages, so it's just like a parade of goodness. And so group number one, you're going to take stuff, and you're going to tell them that this is from your master Jacob as a gift to his brother Esau. And then group number two, group number three, and all you guys that follow, you're all going to do the same thing. And then I'm going to send my family too. Because if we read just our text out of context today, we think, what man, husband and father, sends his family on ahead of him if he is fearful for his own life? What a coward. And yet, what Jacob is doing here is he is laying himself bare before his brother. He is exposing his belly, his vulnerability, and laying himself at his brother's mercy to say, forgive me. And he knows how hard that is going to be. And so as he sends everybody on ahead of him, it says that he stays by himself alone that night on the shores of the Jebek. And there God comes to him, and this is one of those times in Scripture where we see what we call the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Trinity, coming to Jacob in the flesh, and it says that they wrestle all night long. And y'all, this isn't like patty cake. This isn't like they're just kind of just slapping each other back and forth. This is hand-to-hand combat. You see, we do this in our faith lives where we get into the middle of something really hard and we get angry with God and we start to wonder, Lord, how could you let this happen? Do you hear my voice? Are you even there, God? Almost when you can feel that knot tighten even further around you and you just feel like you're going to suffocate and die. Lord, can you hear me? And you can hear and sense this tension. You can feel it gutturally within you. As you imagine the way that Jacob is wrestling with God all night long. Lord, I have messed up and how can this be right? How will my brother ever forgive me for what I have done? See, in our text, it says that God doesn't go easy on Jacob. And instead, as he wrestles with him, All night long, he finally has to place his hand upon 
Jacob's hip to pop it out of the socket. And even then, Jacob does not stop. I don't know if you caught that in the text because Jacob keeps going. And then God finally says, how long are we going to do this? Are you done yet? How often do we hear God's voice in our own ears where we have wrestled with him to the point of exhaustion and he whispers, are you done yet? When I first applied to the seminary, it was right after we had gotten married and they looked at everything and they said, you know, I think you might need to defer for a year or two because nurses, they may do okay financially, but pastors, yeah, y'all are never going to make a whole lot. And so when they looked at the combined student loans and everything and they went, you know, you probably need to work this off for a few years. And I had come in under this era where the seminary was covered. It was paid for by the synod. And so they said, don't worry about this. It'll be fine. And so by the time I get to the seminary and we've gone through all this hassle of being accepted, I'm sitting in the seminary president's office and I'm just going at it. President Meyer, you need to know that before these guys ever apply and think about being a pastor, they need to get a degree in something that's marketable. And I'm just going at it till I'm red in the face. And after about 20 minutes, he kind of sits back in his chair and crosses his arms and says, are you done yet? Can we talk about this now? There are so many times in our life where we are on the edge or right in the middle of something extremely difficult, a hard decision, a heartbreaking circumstance, the grief of losing someone we love. And we say, God, can you hear me? Where are you now? And the wrestling only ends when God allows Jacob to maintain his dignity as a man and says, are you done yet? You see, in child psychology, kids need to be able to roughhouse and wrestle with their fathers, with their dad. And the studies have proven this, where they need to have that opportunity to lay down on the ground. And I can tell you, if I lay down on the floor of my living room, my kids are like, game on! Royal Rumble. And it's not to say that the role of the mother is not as important, because it's equally important in different ways. But gentlemen, you have a role to play in the lives of your children and grandchildren that cannot be replaced by anyone or anything else. 
Because in that role of rough housing and kind of rough play, there are things that they learn. They need to be able to work these things out as they wrestle through them. And they learn limits. And they develop this skill of resistancy and resilience where they don't just roll over and give up when something gets hard. Instead, they get that fire in their belly and they start fighting even harder. Not because they can, but because they should. And there's a difference. They gain the value of working through those hard things and they trust that dad will take care of them. That within those limits, the dad's not going to roughhouse with them to the point of breaking them. But right before that point, maybe, actually pull back and go, y'all are okay. We're going to get you riled up and then we're going to put you to bed. Because then you go to bed and all that energy, it just kind of fades away as you relax. And you trust and you rest in the confidence of knowing that you are cared for and loved. See, Jacob needs this. Because after he crosses over and he has received this blessing from God to the point that God now changes his name from Jacob to Israel... And then he goes on to meet his brother, and his brother embraces him. Not to stick the knife in his back, but instead to welcome him home. To be where he belongs so that his family has a place to belong to. You see, that's what the church does. That's what we are about. And I'm going to ask the question again, and we're not looking for an answer yet, but what is that God-sized dream and vision that he has for this place in this ministry to do something beyond what we think we are capable of? Ironically, and Scott reminded me of this this morning, he came and he said, I think you picked, I think this is the test from last weekend. When it felt that way, because on Monday night when the MMC met, just by happenstance, it was not planned, that was the text for our devotion before we began. We wrestle through hard things, and God is with us every step of the way. In this hand-to-hand -hand combat, whispering in our ears, are you done yet? Because I'm about to open your eyes and show you what I'm up to. So that when we marvel, and we look back on things days and months and years down the road, the only explanation that we have to offer for anything in our life, and not just that time and space, is that it was done by the hands of God. 
and that there is no other explanation for it. So that in all things and in all ways, God always gets the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.